Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. Good evening, good evening. Good to be with you guys tonight. Hey, I'm excited. Um, I want to encourage you guys. Oh, a few few weeks away, guys, we're going to be uh, hosting the Harvest Festival. We haven't done that in, a, in several years, so Pastor Sean is kind of leading that up for us. And um, if you haven't signed up to, to help, it'll be on a Sunday night. We've done it in the past. We'll get about 1,000 people to come out, and we just want to be able to bless the community, bless the families, reach out to the families. Uh, let them know we haven't forgotten them. We've been praying for them. And so I want to encourage you uh, tonight, if you haven't signed up to help, I just want to kind of give you a little push a little bit to jump in and jump on board to serve uh, on that night in a, in a few weeks. Hey, we're starting a new sermon series here called Abide. It's called Abide. We're going to be studying through 1 John in the next couple of weeks. We're going to get through. So if you have your Bibles, open up to 1 John, not the Gospel of John. That's the fourth book of the New Testament. Go near the end and go back a couple books. You'll find 1 John. Okay, if you have your Bibles or if you have your, your phones or whatever you use tonight, but we're going to be talking about this abundant life tonight. I think everybody is looking to be happy. And if you were to ask him what they want in life, they said, I want to be happy or I want money or I want to be secure or I want to be safe. There's some basic things that people would want to respond when you ask them a question like that. But when, when you ask him that, I said, where do you... Where are you going to find that happiness at? Or where is it going to come from? A lot of people will say, you know, I really want some emotional happiness. And so we often turn to maybe relationships to find that emotional happiness. And we'll turn to friendships or relationships with each other, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, family, kids. We look for this to, to have maybe some emotional happiness. Or maybe we are, we'll turn to, to want to have some physical happiness, right? We make sure our health is good or our physical, we look at our physical appearance. Some even go to the extreme of getting cosmetic surgery or they exercise and they diet because they want to be able to find maybe being healthy makes them, makes them happy. Some turn to materialism because they're trying to find happiness in materialism. So they, they want to work harder to get, to get wealth or they want to have the right job or so they can own a home and a car and, and toys and things to play with. So they want to find maybe happiness in those things. Some will turn to intellect and study and education because they want intellectual happiness. So they pursue knowledge and education and position. We could even become religious people and try to pursue happiness through even being religious people, right? And, and we'll be connected to something we might call as a, a higher power or we even could become religious people. I think what people are looking for today and they're searching for something that, that's real, something that's gonna change their circumstance or their, their situation, something that's gonna satisfy the thirst of their own soul, there's a hunger in them that they can't seem to quench, but they're looking for it. A lot of them are looking for it in the wrong places. I think there's a country song or something that says that. You know what I mean? And, you know, you, you hear these country songs, and they tell you about how life is so terrible, but when you play it backwards, it makes it better. I don't know. And stuff. But, but the reality of all this, people are, are seekers today. They're searching for something. But happiness is only a momentary feeling. I believe what God's desire for us, for us is that he wants us to have abundant life, not a happy life, but a joyful life. God's desire is that we would have an abundant life on earth, but he also wants us to have eternal life in heaven. He wants both. He wants us to experience him for all he's worth, that we can have this life that's much deeper than happiness. We're going to be in 1 John, and 1 John is the apostle who wrote this book. He's known as the beloved or the apostle that Jesus loved and it's the same apostle that wrote the Gospel of John in 1st and 2nd, 3rd John in the book of Revelation. That's who the author of this book is. He, he writes this book in the latter part of his life. And I think sometimes, you know, when you, when you tell your story when you're older, you have some experience to back it up. You have some knowledge and things to back it up. And that's what he's doing. He's, he's writing a, really about love, about this uh, abiding love. And I think he's writing, though it's not directed at a specific 
person. He's writing to some young believers in Asia Minor. He's the only apostle that died a natural death, though he was boiled in oil and he was persecuted. He's the only one that wasn't martyred. We know that John, we know John was known for his, for his love for others. But that wasn't always true of John. He had a brother named James. He was one of the disciples or one of the apostles, James and John, you remember? They had a nickname. They were known as the Sons of Thunder. And, and, and that wasn't a really a good street name for them because it represented the fact that when Jesus came to the area of Samaria to preach the gospel, the people there didn't receive the word and didn't receive Jesus. And so James and John, these two brothers, got mad and they said, Jesus, can I, we just bring down fire from heaven to make these people crispy critters? That they wanted to bring judgment on the people and, and Jesus stopped them. You know, it's, it's a very interesting thing how God can change your life from what we were to where we are. Amen. Here was a man that was John who was a man of a temper, a man who, who sometimes you saw anger and, and self-control later becomes the one that Jesus called the apostle who loved. That God can actually change us and transform us to be people that love others. And that's really who John is. Starting as a quick-tempered man, later become a man who was loving and, and patient. Um, I love 1 John. 1 John is one of my favorite books because it's actually the cliff notes of the Gospel of John. A lot of us say when you come to New Believers, read the Gospel of John, and that's like, you know, 20-something chapters, and there's a lot of things that's hard to understand in there. So I just say, go to 1 John. That's the cliff notes of the Gospel of John. And he'll take the, the specific points in the Gospel, of John, uh, the Gospel of John and break it down, right? And when we come to 1 John, it's, he gives us a purpose in his book. He reveals who Jesus is, that he, he is, that, that we look at the deity of Christ. And in him, you find eternal life. In fact, in this book, he mentions the word love 36 times. He mentions the word abide seven times because this book is about having an abiding love. That's what this book is all about. And so the, the word here, abide, really is gonna be our outline of the book as we look at each chapter. But he gives us a purpose in his chapter. You see it in, in verse four because he says, I write things that your joy might be full. We see that in the Gospel of John. You see that in 1 John, that I have a purpose in this writing, that the things you're gonna learn, the things you're gonna do, the things in abiding in me, you're gonna have great joy. Not happiness, but joy, right? I was happy today when my wife came back from a retreat because now I know I'm going to get a meal and I have to make hot dogs every night and macaroni and cheese, right? I, I'm happy the fact that, that I'm momentary. My, those, those are momentary reasons, but we're not talking about this roller coaster momentary thing. We're talking abiding joy, joy that brings contentment, joy that moves in the things we do that we can always have joy regardless of our circumstances and situations. We find this joy only when we abide in Christ. What does that mean? Abide means to remain, to, to tarry, to dwell, to rest, right? Jesus said, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. What was the fruit? Galatians 5.20, the fruit was love. You'll, abide, you'll bear much love when you abide in me. You'll bear much fruit. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. And so the word is abide is really the outline when we think about each chapter when we abide in Christ. And so chapter one, we're going to be all in chapter one tonight. And it's really about A, standing for abundant. That God wants us to have abundant life and a joyful life. Even when we struggle, even when we suffer, we can still have joy. Amen. Chapter two is really about the battle, right? We have victory in the battles we face. There's, there's a battle in this life. There's an enemy that we're going to face. Chapter three is about imitates, that we're called to be imitators of Christ in chapter three. He's a challenge what that looks like. Chapter four is the letter D for discern. Are we able to discern that which is good and are we able to discern that which is evil? Because a mature man is able to discern that which is good and that which is evil. Can we discern the times and days? Can we be like the sons of Issachar who are able to discern the times and days? And E means eternal, that we have a, eternal impact on other people. 
in our serving and our blessing, we could have an eternal impact. See, if you're seeking joy, if you're seeking happiness, if you're seeking an abundant life, joyful life, it's not found in what you do or what you have or what you have accomplished. It's only found in the acceptance of what Jesus has done in our intimate fellowship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's only found there. And so John begins the epistle with a, with a declaration. You want to have abundant life? You need the one who can give you abundant life. They call him the word of life, which is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, heavenly, thank you, Lord, for uh, this evening. We thank you for your love and blessings. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy and grace. And I pray tonight as we enter into your presence with the word, Lord, I pray that the words that I bring tonight, that those here would understand and receive it, that they might have life and have it abundantly, that they might know the joy of the Lord, that they may taste him and find that he's good tonight. So I pray now his spirit speak in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. We're going to only look at two things. You'll see two things in chapter one, who Jesus is and how to have fellowship with him. Those are the two things we're going to look at tonight. So let's look at the abundant life in Christ. We see that in the opening in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. But we have to break it down a little bit to understand who is, why he's writing it and what it means to have abundant life and that we have to understand who Jesus is in order to have abundant life. And so we have to look at that Jesus is the word of life. You see that in verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which you have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. What's some context here? Guys, when you have text, you got to have some context to the text. I mean, you got to know what's happening and why John is writing it. Because in that day and in that culture, in the first century, there was a group of people called the Gnostics. And the Gnostics really taught that the, that the, that the, the body, the, the body was evil, the flesh was evil, but the spirit was good. So Jesus couldn't be God because he was a man in the flesh because the flesh is evil, but the spirit is good. So how could Jesus be God? See, they, they claimed that they had higher power to understand this. Serinthius was the founder of the thought, and John called him an enemy of the truth. There's false teachings that are out there beginning to bring about coming against Jesus and Later on, John will address that very issue as we get further into this epistle. But the first thing that John does is he begins to address the issue from the beginning of the epistle that who is the word of life? The word of life is Jesus, right? In the beginning, in the gospel of John, John referred to Jesus as the word or the logos, right? And John, when in the beginning was the word, word with God and the word was God. He's the logos, He's the word. We know in John 1, 1, Jesus is God. And then in John chapter 5, 21, 5, 1 John chapter 5, 21, John refers to Jesus as the true and eternal God. So you know that Jesus would claim to be God. He would die for that. They put it that he was a king of the Jews and they put it on the cross. And the disciples believed that, that he was God and they, they died for that. They believe that he was the second person or the second part of the triune Godhead. We know we believe in a trinity or three in one. We call it a triune God. Tri meaning three, uno or meaning one. Three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He was from the beginning, right? Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. It's the word Elohim, a plural noun for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In the beginning, God, right? It talked about what? It talked about the spirit in the beginning and the darkness hovering over the face, the spirit, the father. And then John 1 refers that Jesus was in the beginning, the father, son, and the Holy Spirit. In the beginning, the plural God, the one who were created in the image of God, created in the image in God, it's a triune God. In fact, 1 John 5, 7 would say, for there are three that bear witness in heaven, the father, the word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. We know it as the Shema in the Old Testament. Jews used to wake up and pronounce the Shema. God is one, they would, they would say. That was, that was a belief, right? But we have to understand that 
Jesus was a person. He, he wasn't a force or the Holy Spirit wasn't a force. And he was a real, real person. That's why John writes in chapter one, in chapter one, verse one, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and we have, have handled. Notice the plural in the verse, chapter one, we. Who's the we? It's the disciples. It's the believers, right? It's, 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 it's the ones that Jesus appeared to. The Bible says in order for something to be true, there needed to be two or three witnesses, right? You can't just be, you just can't take the testimony of one man. There need to be witnesses to what was true and the scriptures bear fruit of that, right? There were the 12 who saw the resurrected Jesus. After the resurrection, there were 500 who saw him. Their eyes witnessed it, right? They heard the message of the kingdom. They seen the miracles he performed. They looked upon the resurrected Jesus and they handled him. They touched his scars after his resurrection. We only have to look at Thomas who didn't believe, but Jesus said, touch my hands and see my wounds. You don't believe? Blessed are those who believe who have never seen. Jesus says to Thomas, he says, we've experienced the word. Speaking against the Gnostics, we're coming against that. Jesus is the eternal life. You see that in verse two, the life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the father and was manifested to us. This joyful, abundant life is only found in Christ. The word that was manifested, the word that became flesh, the word that dwelt among us. And the disciples bared witness of this eternal life. And their life was transformed by the word. He manifested. means he was revealed. He was obvious. It was evident. For the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Full of what? Grace and truth. The word. The logos. The greatest act of love of the Father was to send his Son. God demonstrated his love to us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us and he sent us his Son. I didn't just tell you I loved you. I showed you I loved you. And we see Jesus in his, all his humanity and humility when he walked this earth. And the disciples begin to declare who Jesus was. Paul, the apostle, later come to see the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus, said that Jesus was the king eternal, the immortal, the invisible God who alone is wise. And he later writes that he is the image of the invisible God in the book of Colossians. The disciples declared the gospel of eternal life and that the gospel was very simple. We see the gospel even in the creation. We see that there's a, there's a designer. We walk outside these doors and Today was such a beautiful day because the sun rose and the sun was set. We saw the power of creation only a few weeks ago in the lightnings and the thunder and the rain. And it wasn't Thor, let me tell you that. We saw the power because Romans 1.20 says, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and the Godhead, so that they are without excuse right? The word speaks about it, the proclamation. John will later write in chapter 5 of 1 John that he who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son does not have life. These things are written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life, that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. My, my challenge to you guys tonight is do you know that you have eternal life? Because the struggle in the church when I do altar calls, the same people come forward week after week. They don't know that they have eternal life. And they live in fear, not in faith. Guys, we walk in faith. We walk by faith, not by fear. We hold on to the truth of God's word, the proclamation of the gospel. His word is true. So I don't have to live on the edge whether I'm going to be in and out every day. That's torments. That's not faith. God is not tormenting us today. He wants us to have this life to the fullest. But he challenges the fact that his goal was that we would have fellowship with him. That we'd have fellowship with him. And so the, the, John writes, and the disciples declare that we can have fellowship with God and each other. Look at verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. 
And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. Our relationship with God, this eternal life we get by faith, opens up the door to have fellowship with God and, and with others. True fellowship. The, the word fellowship means to have something in common, right? Something we participate in. In, in Christ, we each have a common ground. By faith, he's broken down the dividing walls. We talk about that between Jews and Gentiles, two different groups that got made one. The body is one, and we have fellowship with God. We all the way go back to the early church in chapter two. They said they had all things in common. They were all in one accord, it says. They weren't fitting in a car, not a Honda Accord. Okay. <laughs> They were in a building of one mind and one heart. They had everything in common and they had community and they had fellowship with one another and they had fellowship with God and God did great signs and wonders and miracles and God added to the church being saved. You know why? Because the church loved one another. The spirit of God was moving by the, by the love of God because of this abundant life and because of the relationship with God and because we are partakers of his divine nature. Jesus took on the nature of man so we could take on the nature of God. That's what he did for us. That's what he did for us tonight. And so God established the church to create true fellowship. But we know what? Sin will separate us from fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. And he's going to discuss that in the next few verses. But then he goes back and reminds us as he opens up this book, here's my purpose. We can have abundant life in verse 4. These things I write to you that your joy may be full. John 1, 4. The greatest joy is when we have true fellowship with God and others. The greatest joy we can have is that God has gifted us to serve in our calling. We talked a little bit about that this morning. Pastor Randall did. When we're living out our call, when we're living out what we're created to be because we're his poema, we're his poem, and he's created us for good works. And when we walk in the spirit according to the call and gifting God has given us, we find great joy. That's why people are searching, what's my purpose in life? What am I supposed to do? Because they haven't tasted and found good and how God's called them and he's created them for a purpose to glorify him and to honor him and to love others. Because Psalm 16, 11 says, in your presence is the fullness of joy. And when we live in authentic faith in Christ, we experience the, the greatest joy. Amen. So joy is not happiness, but joy is contentment. Yes. We studied that in the book of Philippians. It has everything to do with our attitude. Rejoice in the Lord always, Paul writes to the, the church of Thessalonica, right? Rejoice in all things. Pastor, how can we rejoice in a COVID? How can we rejoice in these things? How can we rejoice in suffering? How can we rejoice when things don't go our way? How can we rejoice when I can't pay certain bills or the dice has been thrown and I, I, I'm coming on the short end of the dice? How can I rejoice in that, God? Because God is still present and working in you and through you and he's still doing the work. Whether you see it or not, God is still doing something. And, and our, we have to be careful that our faith is a fact, not always a feeling, okay? You can't let your circumstances shake you. We have to be grounded in our faith. We, we're holding true. That's why we're going to talk about the shoes of peace through the study, through the men's study, because those shoes of peace were like cleats that help us keep our ground so we don't slip. We have hinds feet like deer can go from cliff to cliff without falling, without stumbling, why? Because you know why joy is so important? Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. There's power in joy. How can John have great joy when he was boiled in oil and cast to an island of Patmos and experienced great persecution and then talk about joy? Because he tasted and knew the Lord. That's how he can do that. So God's commanding us the first four verses that we would have this abundant life no matter our circumstances. But that abundant life will grow, here's the second thing, when we walk in true fellowship. 
for the life is found in true fellowship. You're going to see that in verses 5 through 10, right? Verses 1 through 4 is about who Jesus is, and he's where we get our abundant life. We have to know who he is, who we worship, what he's done for us. But in verses 5 through 10, it's about our fellowship with Jesus. It's about our community with Jesus. It's about our intimacy with God. And we will learn to sit before Jesus, and you will learn to walk in Jesus. That was the big thing that they saw about the disciples when they weren't educated men, but the very thing that they said was, man, these guys are uneducated, but they've been with Jesus. That was the characteristics of the disciples. May we as a church know how to be with Jesus. So our joy is full when we have true fellowship with God and others. And God created us for fellowship, fellowship upward and fellowship outward. He created us for that we're not created to live in isolation. We suffer in isolation. Our secrets of our secret sin will destroy us. It will kill us. That's why he, we confess our sins once another. That what healing would take place in our brokenness and in the things in our life. God wants to heal us so we can have abundant life. But if we, heal, if we hide, there's no healing. If we hide, there's no healing in our life. But people are saying, well, Pastor Peter, if I really reveal who I am, people won't like me. God already knows what's going on in your life, so it doesn't matter, but he still loves you. Right? He still loves you regardless of where you are and what you've done. You know? And, 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 and he's still working in that, and he still wants community with you. But he says, i got to deal with your mess so we can have true community and true fellowship. That fellowship is what? It's, it's a partnership. It's a joint venture with God in some ways. We're, we're working in, in, in community with God. It's a, a community, a common ground, a communion. It's relational. In fact, the word c- 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 commun- a fellowship can also be translated intimacy where we get the word intercourse, intimacy. But it's also in some context talks about service or distribution of our works, the great commandment to love. It's a ministry. And so you see in verses 5 through 7, we first have fellowship with God. Look, this is the message, look at verse 5, which we have heard from him and declared to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Jesus is, he, he, Jesus is passing on a message he received. John, I'm sorry, is passing on a message he received from Jesus, is now declaring, he's reporting, he's letting people know those who claim to follow, claim to have fellowship with God, there's some things he's going to declare here. Number one, John makes a declaration about God. And number one, God is light. We're going to look at the character of God. You've got to understand who you're worshiping. God is light. Light is brightness. Light illuminates. I'm blinded by these lights sometimes because I can hardly see you out there, right? But light also makes things visible. That's why Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. God's light will brighten up the heavens in Revelation 22.5. And in this text, light is defined as spotless, holy, pure, delicate. God is light. If you know anything about light, it has every color in it. That's why we're created in his image and likeness because he's had beautiful color in this room. The beauty of God's light. That's why we're created in his image because he's a beautiful multicolored God that creates his people like him. It's because God is light. And in, in this description, it's a, it's a description of God. We get to see his essence because David wrote, the Lord is, the, is my light and my salvation. And because God is light and God is love and God is spirit and God is true and God is one and God is above our understanding. And if we lower God to anything else, if we lower God to anything else than what the Bible describes him, we made him an idol. We made him a, an image that has a mouth that can't speak and ears that can't hear and eyes that can't see. Be careful of the gravy images that we bring. There's no power in that. Theologian Linsky, the commentator, wrote, the very being of God is absolute light. That is his divine nature. And in him there is no darkness. We see that phrase in here in this verses. The phrase translated in Greek means that not one bit of darkness in God. 
because he's light. It's a double negative. <laughs> there's, there's, no dark side of, there's no dark side to God. There's no mean bone in his body. There is no sin, no imperfection, no defect or blemish in God. And so let's look at, though we know who the essence of God is and he is light and he's all these things, he's now, John's gonna address this fellowship in more details. He messages in verse three. Now he's jumping down in verse six to declare two types of fellowship, the fellowship of light and the fellowship of darkness. Verse six declares about darkness. Look at this. If, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. We can't say that we're believers and walk according, contrary to what his commands commands us. Right? If we say, we see that phrase found in verse six, eight, and 10, who are the we? The disciples, including John himself. If John says he has fellowship, and John walks in darkness, John lies, and John does not practice the truth. That's what he's speaking about himself. If me, Pete, if me, Pastor Pete says he has fellowship, and Pete walks in darkness, Pete lies, and Pete does not practice the truth. You can't say you are in fellowship or partnership with God and walk contrary to his word because they don't work. It's like water and oil. It doesn't mix. What part does light have in darkness? What communion has light with darkness? 2 Corinthians 6.14 People can abide in the darkness. We're talking about abiding in God. People can abide in darkness and, and they walk in darkness. When we talk about walk, the Bible talks about walks. The book of Ephesians gives a whole three chapters to walking. Walk in light, walk in love, walk in wisdom. If you want to study Ephesians. Our walk can be preoccupied with by other things. We could, we could be, our attention could be given to other things and given elsewhere in our walk. If I'm walking toward the world, that means I turn my back to God. But if I'm walking toward God, I turn my back to the world. I wonder why Jesus says, move forward and don't look behind. You plow ahead, don't look back. The cross before me, the world behind me. This walk that we have. But we could have a walk that is deceitful, a walk that is lying. And he says, don't deceive yourself in your walk. Right? Don't deny what is true. You know, people can justify or be convinced themselves it's okay with sin when it's not. We can justify our sin. We can justify our mess. We can lie to ourselves. We can lie to others. We can even try to lie to God. You know what the biggest lie in the church is? Dating unbelievers. That's the biggest lie. That's the biggest lie. People don't think that God's serious about that when he specifically spoke about do not be unevenly yoked. Look at the story of Samson. Go to the book of Judges, Delilah and all the women he had, right? It was his demise. He lost his power and his sight. But even in God's mercy and grace, he still gave him strength at the end. But he, had a, he lost a lot when he chose to go toward his flesh and not the spirits. And he says, you can't say you're in fellowship with God and walk in the darkness and you don't practice the truth, right? The word practice means to 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 do or to abide or to tarry. You practice means to execute or to exercise. We know sports team practice. We know they go and they want to improve their craft. They want to practice it. In fact, Kobe Bryant used to practice so hard. He'd practice so hard that he would pass out. That's how intense he was in his practice. The intensity of his practice that he would pass out, that's how extreme he was. Extreme darkness can lead to eternal punishments. The word practice means to do over and over again, right? In Galatians chapter 5, it gives a whole list of the practice of the flesh. You can go do it after taking notes. List, list the work of the flesh. And Revelation 21, if you take a look at that list, adds the word liar <laughs> to that list. John is applying a false fellowship, and maybe these individuals do not have a relationship with God, thus their fellowship is not true. It's not true. So he's given a declaration in this passage about darkness, but then he turns and says, let me give you a declaration about light. Let me tell you about light in verse seven. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanses us from all sin, right? 
if we walk, right? Our walk has more power than our talk. People need to see our walk. We need to be witnesses of the light. And those who walk never have to claim true fellowship. Their actions prove it. Yes, I know about David. And I know that when the prophet came to anoint a new king and Jesse lined up all his sons and the prophet came in and he was looking for the next king and he's like, nope, 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 nope. You have another son? Where, this, these aren't, are, oh, well, we have, we have one more. He's with the sheep. Really? Bring him. And they ran to bring him. And he came and he sees King David as a little boy. That's your next king. See, men judge the outward, but God judges the heart. And he selected King David. Our walk has power. Our testimony has power. But God will judge the hearts of men. David was a man after God's own heart. He, he loved God, even in light of his failures. And his, he was a terrible father. He was an adulterer. He was a murderer. His own sons came against him. In fact, his Absalom killed his brother for raping their sister. I mean, it's a nightmare, man. It's a Jerry Springer family. Read David's life. Like it was, you talk about dysfunction. It was broken and David never jumped in and took care of his family, man. Maybe some of your families look like that. I don't know. But, but it was terrible. And yet he was a man after God's own heart. Even in the midst of his brokenness, God said, I know your heart, David. Even though you went this way, when you should have gone that way, I know your heart. Maybe we have a heart after God. Even in the midst of our brokenness, God will still meet us there. We're called to walk as he is in the light, it says. Our walk needs to be pre pre preoccupied with God. That's what it means to abide in the light. We need to be consumed with God. We need to be overwhelmed by the presence of God. It's only natural to take on the likeness of our parents, amen? You know, I get pictures and my friends say, oh, your son looks just like you. Your, you know, your daughters look just like you. I don't know if that's a good thing. Maybe more like their mom. <laughs> and stuff. We want to take on the likeness of our Abba Father. We want to take on the likeness and character of God because he's called us out of the darkness into the light and we are children of light and we are to live like children of light and we are called to set aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. That's what the scripture says because we are a reflection of his light. That's why he says, let your light shine before men that they would see your works and glorify your Father in heaven. And our light is to reveal our fellowship with the Father and the Son. And so, because we have fellowship with God, we also can walk in light, have fellowship with each other, true fellowship, right? And so we're to walk in light of loving one another, caring for one another, caring one another's brother, treating each other lovingly. Because this is what God created us for. And this community keeps us accountable to keep walking in the light. Keep walking in love. You know, I remember um, it's like a father who sees his son playing football and he's running down the sideline. Kid's got the ball. He's running for the TD. He's running down and dad is running in strokes. Go, Miguel. Go, go. He's running. That's the power of community. It cheers us on. It applauds us. It encourages us. That's the power of community. That's the power of fellowship. And the blood provides true fellowship with God. We needed the blood of Christ because apart from God, we're, we're separate from God and sin has separated us from God and from one another. Amen. That's why Jesus came. That's why we read in verses one for who Jesus is and, and what he's done. And so God's sacrifice was the door for true community, true fellowship. For without a sacrifice, we could not have true fellowship. And his sacrifice cleanses us and, and is continually cleansing us in our mistakes. It's, a, it's, it's not the white out, it's the red out <laughs> of our mistakes. That's what it does. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to get into that right now in verse 9. But he turns to us and says, listen, we can be separate from God, but I made a way to be restored back to God to have fellowship with God, have community God. In verses eight through 10, it says, if we say we have no sin and we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, 
If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Hmm. The battle and the tension with this verse is this. Some people say, there's, oh, there's nothing. There's no sin. There's no such thing as sin, right? If we say we have no sin, I remember years ago, early on in ministry, I had a friend of mine who didn't believe in evil. I go, what? I don't believe in evil. What do you think is happening out here on the streets? But when he got carjacked with his daughter in the car, he, he begins, he believes in evil now. Right? You can't say that there's not sin. You can't say that sin is not a reality. Because then, remember, they're battling with the fact that the Gnostics didn't think that, that, that you could be spiritual and be earthly. Okay? They had this special knowledge that the soul was good, but the body was evil, and they believed that the soul attained perfection by knowledge. But the Bible says knowledge puffs up. <laughs> knowledge can be blinding. The knowledge came through practicing evil. They call good evil and evil good, and that's what they'll say in the last days. They applaud evil. They saw Judas and Cain and Korah, these were the enemies of God, as men of higher knowledge. Jesus, Judas was the one who portrayed Jesus and sold him out for 30 pieces ago. Cain killed his brother and Korah came against Moses, a rebellion against Moses, and the ground opened up and swallowed him up. But they saw these men as heroes, these Gnostics. And these Gnostics would pray, parade around in that time and that culture. They had all knowledge and they were knowledgeable. In fact, the word wisdom translated in the Latin is the word science. In fact, science is, has replaced faith and has become our, our higher knowledge, right? I used to watch, remember that movie, um, Nacho Libre? <laughs> remember his companion? I don't believe in God, I believe in science. Right? Right. And then they dunked him, he kept dunking with the baptisms. So, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I got, I'm a little warped too. So, but if we only have science and know God, then we could say we have no sin. Right? So he challenges us not to be deceived. Right? Because in 2 Timothy 3, talking about the latter days, while evil men and apostles will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. In the last days, there's going to be a falling away of the faith the scripture talks about. Sin is a doctrinal teaching in the scriptures. Sin means we miss the mark. We miss the mark of perfection, and Jesus is perfect. He is the light. John defines sin as lawlessness and a refusal to submit to the law. Lawlessness is living independently from God. We may not, we may not be like evil people. I'm not killing people. I'm not doing anything. But when you live independent of God and trust in yourself, you're still in your sin. You're still lawless. And sin is not just about disobedience. It's about our inward rebellion, desire, and deception comes because you're not grounded in the truth. That's why he says, no truth. Truth is not in us, he, he says in the passage. Jesus is the truth. The word is the truth. And in, in John, Jesus' prayer in John 17, he said, sanctify them with the truth. The truth is our filter. The truth is our strainer. When you cook, ladies, and you make spaghetti and then Right, And then you take the water and you pour it through the strainer and the spaghetti falls in the strainer, but the water goes through. The word of God is our strainer to see what is good and what is bad. We run it through the word. We wash it through the word. We sanctify it through the word. Why? Because you can never suppress the truth. Because one of the armor is the belt of truth. I remember growing up playing in a swimming pool with the little blow-up air ball. You remember that plastic air ball and you try to put it in the water and pop back up? Because you can never suppress the truth. It's like it always pop back up in your face. And it says here in verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Solomon writes in his own experience about life, there is not righteous man on earth who does not what is right and never sins. Romans says there is no righteous one, not even one. For we all saw all false, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And if we don't believe we are sinners, we call God a liar. 
and the word of life is not in us. So how do we have fellowship again? Verse 9. Here's the key. Here's the secret sauce, guys. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Our part is to confess, right? His part is to forgive and cleanse. That's refreshing. Our, our fellowship, our community to God is only a prayer away. A prayer away. It's not far. It's not far. It's very near. Very near. We confess. What does it mean to confess our sin? It's to admit our wrong. That's all. And it's not, I'm sorry. For many, the word I'm sorry is I'm sorry I got caught, but I really don't want to change. Right? When you hear in a court of law, people, I'm sorry. Was sorry enough to stop you from doing it? No. Repentance that leads to sorrows is what God's called, to bear the fruit of repentance. Confession is to say the same thing about, or say the same thing about it that God says it's about. We're calling sin, sin. We're not making names for it. Our culture likes to change sin and give it different words. Because we don't like the words that we know to be true. We can't color our sin. We can't justify our sin. We can't manage our sin. We have to be in agreement with God about our sin. True confession is calling it by name. Hate, lust, adultery, fornication, whatever it is. Lord, forgive me because I just did this. That's what God hears. That's true repentance before the Lord. True confession is being honest with yourself and God. And God promises to forgive. Here's the promise. Here's the command and here's the promise. God is able to forgive because he is faithful and just and he is righteous. And he died for that very thing to forgive us of our sins. And faithful means he's true to his promise. Just means he's righteous, means he, he does what is right. And he acquitted me of, by the blood of Jesus Christ. His son cleanses us from all sins. And the word forgive means what? He forgives me means he, he sent my mess away. He's cast as far as the east is from the west. And he put up a sign that says no fishing. Because the enemy will keep throwing your mess back in your face. You will keep throwing your mess back in your face. When God's forgotten it, you still have a hard time to forget it. When God's already forgotten it, when you confess it. Psalm 103, 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so he has removed our transgressions from us. And he's cleansed us. which means he set us free from the guilt of sin. I want you to hear that from the guilt of sin. You have a clear conscience. Hebrews 9, for how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleansing your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The war, like, you're trying to forgive yourself. God's forgiving you and you have this battle in your head about maybe what you've done and how you can't go. God's cleansed you. He's forgiven you. Paul the apostle in Acts chapter 20 says, I have a clear conscience. This is the man who killed Christians and murdered them. Stone Stephen, he says, I have a clear conscience because of the blood of Jesus. He understood his salvation. He understood the forgiveness. Church, family, brothers and sisters, God will give you a clear conscience. The enemy will torment you. And he'll give a purification of the heart. And as we close tonight... John is writing that you would have abundant life. And it starts with knowing Christ and it starts with knowing, having this true community. So I leave you with three thoughts tonight as we close and Sean's gonna come and do communion and close us off tonight. Number one, this abundant life starts by accepting the incarnate manifested Christ. We studied at verse four who Jesus is and what he's done. Abundant life starts with the word. Jesus is the word. And Jesus is the word of life. Number two, the abundant life starts with the abiding in the true understanding who Jesus is. We got to know who we worship. We sing songs about him and we, we study him. We have to know him intimately. And lastly, this abundant life starts by walking in true fellowship with God and others. Thank you for coming tonight because you're having community. You're having blessings. And the promise of that is that God said there's a blessing. We read it in a book of Revelation.
for those who know is her word, read his word, there's a blessing for you tonight because of your investment that God has made deposits in your spirit tonight that you would have enough for the week. But every, every day, you have to be in community with God so he can make more deposits into your spirit because let me tell you something, this week you might have just to withdraw from them. You're going to have to withdraw from them at some point. But you keep going, get filled up, get filled up, get filled. And you know what? You don't live on empty. You live on the overflow. You don't live on empty. Some of you got that, that little gaslight on your car. You're the, you're the, the knuckleheads that drive the freeway with the gas I fill up. And you say, how far can I go? God said, no, 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 no. That's not how we live. That's not how we live. You're going to run out of gas. You're going to tank out. You're going to burn your engine out. You're going to fry yourself. You're going to get all these things. Fill up the car and run on the overflow. Amen. Father heaven, we thank you, Lord, for tonight. We thank you for your love and blessings. We thank you for your goodness, and I pray your blessings upon your people tonight. May you just touch them, Lord, that they may just taste, Lord. Just partake of your goodness, Lord. It says your kindness leads men to repentance. Not, not wasn't your wrath, it was your love. For God so loved the world that he gave his own begotten son. That whoever believes should not perish but have everlasting life. For Jesus name. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.